Power Users, episode 249, Technology in the Family with Dan Morin. Hey, everybody, it's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. Hello, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm well, David. How are you? Good. And we have a guest with us, Mr. Dan Morin. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Dan, you've been on our list for a long time. Wait, is that a good list or a bad list? Like well, you don't, you don't want to know what nice kind of list, list it is. <laughs> You're actually on several lists, Dan. I, but I, I've heard, so the FBI tells me. <laughs> but the uh, this list involves getting you on our show because uh, you were a writer over at MacWorld for years and just super nice guy. And like I, I did that rapid fire thing with you at MacWorld last yeah, year. Yeah, that's right. That yeah. was so fun. Oh man, it will never happen again. <laughs> and, and now, now you run six colors, and you let Jason Snell write over there occasionally. I hear occasionally when he's not like gallivanting off to Ireland or whatever he's doing these days. Yeah. What is it with that guy? <laughs> he's a he's a globetrotter. Yes, he is uh, internationally renowned man I, of mystery. Isn't doesn't uh, everybody? I, I just feel like I need to pour one out for MacWorld. Honestly, we, I don't think we ever really recognized <laughs> yeah. it on the show. They didn't have the show last year. About this time. We were at MacWorld. We had so much fun this year. You know, MacWorld. Yeah, it's sad. Uh, I'll be missing it. Paul Kent did a great job with the show all the years that he ran it. And I always had a lot of fun doing various panels and talks, hosting the Rapid Fires, David mentioned. And yeah, it was a great opportunity also just to, you know, meet people from the Mac community, both, you know, other writers and publishers or writers, podcasters, pundits, but also just like average users, you know, and give a chance to talk to them and find out how they were doing and what kind of stuff they were curious about, which was always a great opportunity. So uh, yeah, there's nothing really like that anymore. So it's kind of sad that it's gone the way of the woolly mammoth. I hope something grows in its place. I mean, you know, I know a lot of people are going to WWDC, um, but that's really kind of a developer thing. And it's not the same. Yeah. You're not going to see a lot of just normal users at WWDC. So I I don't know. It's sad. But anyway, uh, that's not why we're here today. Uh, (laughs) We're here today because Dan wrote a book, uh, you know, and uh, and the book is about a subject that we've also had on our list for some time, and that's technology in the family. Um, so, Dan, you want to tell us a little bit about the book? Sure. Uh, the Connected Apple Family, which I co-wrote with Jeff Carlson, who you may know from Tidbits or his Seattle uh, Times column. Um, Jeff and we was sort of actually on Mac Power Users. We'll, we'll put a link to his episode. He, he talked about photography. Yeah, oh, he's he's, a, he's an excellent photographer. So he he really gets around to, as you can tell. Um, Katie, so we, Katie, you weren't supposed to tell Dan that we had Jeff on before we had Dan on. <laughs> it was just it was just like yesterday. Good job, the, good job. Um, why are there green yes. M and M's in my green room bowl? Oh my goodness! <laughs> Sorry, you it. didn't get you didn't get my rider clearly. Yeah. Um, we, we heard yeah. about this guy. <laughs> so, yeah, so we decided to put, put together a book because there are lots of people who have questions about, hey, I have all these different iOS devices in my family, not only for me, but for my partner or for my kids. And how do I manage all these different things? And most especially, how do I manage all this different content that we have, all these different digital media files, photos, videos, TV shows, movies, music, all this stuff? How do we manage that? Uh, and we stay in touch with our family and we sort of just ran the gamut and you know, sort of tried to cover every single possible topic we could think of that would be of interest to families who were, you know, awash in Apple devices, as so many of us are these days. And, and it's interesting from the Mac Power users perspective, we have touched on several, but not all of these topics throughout the run of the show. 
where one thing will come up, you know, the music sharing will come up in the context of a music discussion. But I thought it would be really good to kind of cover this thing soup to nuts and and have one contained show that addresses all of these issues, the ones we've covered before and the ones we haven't. So who better than to have Dan on, Dan Morin, <laughs> talk to us about some of the issues of dealing with technology and family. So I think let's just dig in, man. Why yeah, not? Absolutely. Probably the the good place to start is is what is the problem here and and I'll kind of ask the question because I'm I'm probably the person who thankfully doesn't have this this problem because I don't have a family that I have to share content with yet but uh, you know, the problem that David I know you've talked about extensively and and we've had listeners to our show who've written written in about this is we've got all of this digital content out there you know before it was easy enough to pass around a book or pass around a CD or a DVD or you know to rip that content in. And and now we've got all this digital content and we don't want to buy it multiple times. We have multiple family members. How do we share that content within our family without having to buy it over and over again, but yet also with parents in particular still being able to have some control over, you know, what the kids have access to? And do I have to have a resident tech geek in my family to be able to do all of this or do, you know do I have to outsource it do I do I have to be a Mac power user do I have to call the Mac power users in order to figure out how all this works it's funny there's like a as I was prepping today's show I'm sitting here digging away in the outline I start getting messages from my 18 year old daughter her and I both are big fans of the imitation game we want it you know it's coming out now on uh, video and on iTunes and everything and I told her yesterday I said well I'm just going to buy it on iTunes and this is, she sends me a text message, Dad, don't buy it on iTunes. <laughs> I'm like, well, what? I mean, why not? I have a coupon. I'm going to get 30%. I'm going to buy the DVD. I'm like, I don't want the DVD. I don't want, <laughs> I want to be able to watch it on my iPad or my Apple TV or whatever. And I want it in high def. So, and I don't have a Blu-ray. I know I just blew away half the internet with that statement, but you know, I'm like, I'm a digital guy. I don't, I don't want more plastic media. So yeah. no dad, don't buy it. So we text message each other back and forth three or four times. And at the end of the day, her problem is she wants to be able to take the disc to her friend's house and watch it with her friends. Mm-hmm. So now that's going to be another, you know, data point in how we buy media in our house. Is it something that my daughter wants to take to her friend's house? And now I have to buy that in a different way. I mean, this, these problems are difficult right now because we're this world in transition where, you know, we no longer get the vinyl or the plastic and there's all these digital solutions, but we also have more than one person that's going to be reading it or listening to it or watching it. And uh, Dan, help me. You're my only hope. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, it's one of those tough situations where if you live in a very prescribed box uh, where, you know, like Katie or myself, uh, where it's just you dealing with all your media, things more or less seem to work fine. But as soon as you add a second person into the mix, you have to start dealing with the burden of things like digital rights management, which is basically what comes in. You know, the movie studios and the music labels don't necessarily want you to be able to do everything with your content because they would love for you to rebuy things. So if you're in the Apple ecosystem and you're looking for a solution, Apple would love to sell you on this, what it thinks is a wonderful solution called family sharing. And I gather you guys have talked a little bit about this before. David's Uh, never heard of family sharing before ever. He has no opinions on the topic. I have have the scars to prove it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's one of those things that sounds great in theory, right? Like the idea that you set up a family unit and then within that family unit, you can pass around all this media that you buy, whether it be music or TV shows or movies like The Imitation Game, what have you. Um, But it it turns out that while that works really well in certain circumstances, 
In other places, it can definitely be a little trickier to make it work just the way that you want it to. And and again, it, it also does kind of assume that you live in this prescribed box that is the Apple ecosystem, right? As soon as you step away from that at all, you're going to find places where, where family sharing comes up pretty short. And even within the Apple ecosystem, there's definitely times where it doesn't quite behave the way you'd like it to. Yeah. But, you know, for our, the sake of our show, I mean, our audience, um, like me and Katie, are quite frankly, a lot of people who live in the Apple ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why we're Mac power users. But the, um, but, you know, the idea behind family sharing, I felt like, you know, just kind of bringing it to ground zero and bear with us. If you've heard this before, we're going to get into some more detail. But, you know, family sharing addresses the issue of you've got mom and dad and two kids and they all have different interests in music and apps and movies. And you want the ability for each of them to be able to buy the stuff, but you still want to share it. Like if if my daughter buys the imitation game on her iTunes account, why shouldn't I be able to watch it on mine? Right. Traditionally, that wouldn't work because if everybody had their own account, they can't share. Um, and and family sharing kind of fixes that. It allows you if you have one common credit card for the entire family. And tell me when I get this wrong, Dan. Yep. They have one common credit card. You can associate other accounts in your household and then you can share media between them. Um, that doesn't mean that ownership of that media is transferred. It just means that while we're on the same credit card, I can watch her imitation game. Right, exactly. So the the previous solution was you you know you would have to like share an actual account, right? Like which was messy for other reasons because you know what one person had set up in their library, for example, would you know not be the same. What one kid might want to listen to in their music library would not necessarily be the same as what another kid or a parent might might, might want to listen to. So the idea, you're absolutely right, is to basically give uh, a, a license, if you want to get technical, or just the ability to listen to the same music or watch the same TV shows um, by setting up this family unit. And then you have sort of a family organizer who's in charge, and that person can not only set up other accounts, but also manage them. So in the cases of, you know, if you've got kids and you want to have some control over what your kids can buy or what they can watch you can set up those powers through family sharing so that you're you know unlike in a case where you might have to share an account and everybody has to know the password and therefore everybody sort of has license to do whatever they want family sharing lets you set a more granular level of control so that the kids are still restricted to buying only the things that you want them to be able to get Um, or you can even do things like set up so that there's it requires permission for them before they can buy anything uh, and that gives the parents a lot higher degree of, of control than in an, in previous times. Yeah. So so winding it back, if you're a, a mom or a dad or head of household and you've got kids and a spouse or a significant other right now, your two options are a kind of the traditional hack, which is you have a main iTunes account. This is what we have in my family. There's a an iTunes account I set up, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. And. Mm-hmm. That is like the the media iTunes account. And then each individual member of my family has their own iCloud account and their calendar, contact data, email, all stuff is handled in there. And and there are hooks built into iOS that that provide for this. You can set up a, an iCloud account for your iCloud, but you can, when you go into purchase apps or purchase music, you can have it use a separate account. And mm-hmm. that's what most people have. So, for instance, in my family of four people, we have five accounts. We have the, the purchase media account, which we all share, and then each one of us has an individual account. And then the idea of family sharing is let's get rid of that craziness. And each person has their own account and then you can share across. 
I think it was a great idea. Um, mm-hmm. the, I agree. I mean, I think that, I think there's a lot to like about this. The fact that Apple can tell who, you know, that there are different people with different accounts. I am, for one, kind of tired of looking in my iTunes account and seeing old Miley Cyrus stuff in there. You know, <laughs> Hannah Montana. You want the new, you want the, you're onto the new stuff is what Hannah you're saying. Montana. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I got some wiggles in there. You know, I got, you yeah. know, I got, I got some good stuff in there. Although the Blues Clues, for, in all honesty, I will listen to that alone, but that's another problem. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, the point is, you know, it's, it's great that you can kind of have your own music, your own movies. And I think that's where things need to go. As my kids get older, I'm thinking, you know, when they buy themselves a movie, I think when, you know, the day comes when they, you know, fly the roost, what's the saying? Fly the fly, coop. The, fly the coop or yeah, leave jump the out of the nest. Or There's whatever. always birds. Yeah. yeah I don't birds know. Something involving them. wings. But they, uh, when they leave, why shouldn't they be able to own the stuff that they purchased with their money and their gift cards over the years? So I think it's a really good idea. I think the problem with family sharing is that um, it just didn't. It didn't launch well. It didn't fly the coop very well, you know. <laughs> and um, you know, so this it, it came out with iOS eight. And I remember at WWDC last summer, I was thinking, "Great, well, I really need this." I mean, one of the pain points for me is that we are all big users of iTunes Match, and mm-hmm. and there is a ten device limit, and that includes computers. So, you know. So if somebody wants to be able to download music wirelessly on one device, it means that they're going to have to unenable it somewhere else. Right. The family. So you got this constantly floating, you know, devices. Some which device today is not actually hooked up to iTunes Match. Yeah, and there's all this kind of passive aggressive um, device enabling and disabling. There's like a, there's like a quiet war going on in the Sparks house <laughs> over those ten slots, <laughs> you know. And uh, and also, by the way, someone can delete a playlist. And it will just delete everywhere, which, you know, can become another problem. So so there's a lot of issues. So I was thinking this would be great. And so I, in my typical fashion, jumped in with both feet. And and of all the technology stuff I've tried out over the years with my family, they've been so cooperative with me. This family sharing thing, I, I literally thought they were going to change the locks on me because they were so angry. <laughs> So, I mean, what kind of, besides the iTunes mass thing, did you guys run into other problems? Like in particular, you know, you've discussed a little bit like your, your daughter wanting to watch a movie and not wanting to get it on iTunes. So I assume that you've run into some problems with sharing content. Well, the, the iTunes match issue was, I'm sorry, the family sharing issue was it's just, it just wasn't ready for prime time when it released. And we had a spontaneous combustion of playlists. We had my wife's phone just stopped updating apps. And if you if you look on the on the web, there's a certain subgroup of people that tried family sharing that had the same problem. Yeah. And, it, you know, and it got to the point where she just I'd be sitting on the couch, you know, minding my own business, you know, as, as a husband does. You try not to, you know, fall under the eye of Sauron, you know, at certain <laughs> points. And she would walk up to me, look at me and she would just hand me her phone. And I'd look and there'd be like 70 apps out, not updated on her phone. And if you hit update all, that wouldn't work. Some of them might work if you manually updated, some wouldn't. I mean, this is a big deal. And so ultimately we, um, we scratched it. We went back to the single account and the stuff we had bought on the individual accounts while we were trying the experiment was kind of lost in the ether which is never fun. Right. I had purchased a second iTunes match account on my wife's account. So I paid another, I think $25 for that to try and get it working. And just the, the experiment failed. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I've heard a lot cause I wrote about it and then um, yep. they talked about it on ATP 
my post about it. So then I got a lot more email about it from them and their listeners as well. And uh, the takeaway I've heard from a lot of people is if you've got that traditional, you know, media account, like I was talking, the fifth account in our family, uh, switching over to family sharing can come with pain and suffering at this point. It's just not ready. If you are starting from scratch, if you have a single account and you just had your first baby or you and your wife decide you have individual accounts and you want to start sharing, uh, people are are reporting good success with that. So it seems to me that, you know, family sharing right now is a mixed bag. And, it, you know, if you're not an exotic like me who has a separate media account, you can probably go ahead and turn it on and start playing with it. Otherwise, I would recommend waiting until iOS 9. And yeah, I, I think I think you sort of hit the nail on the head here. And I, I don't use family sharing in everyday, you know, situations because like, Katie, I don't have a family to share with. Um, I could share with myself, but, eh, you know, why, why get why get into that <laughs> kettle of fish? Um, but I do have uh, other family members, more like um, my cousins, for example, who have their own families who have many iOS devices. And, you know, based on your experiences and experience from other people are hearing, I do have a hard time recommending for them to change over because I think of the experiences that you guys are running into where there there are so many problematic little niggles here and there and you run into all these edge cases. Well, I don't know if you can call them edge cases, even rightfully things that should be covered by family sharing and don't quite work right. Uh, and personally, I, I hate to, you know, be the person that, oh, yeah, try this new technology. It's totally great. It'll solve all your problems uh, because I know that will come back on me when it doesn't work right. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I spent a lot of time testing this out for the book. But at the same time, in practical experience, there's only so much you can do with with testing how well things work from a bug's perspective. Um, so in my very, like, idealized fake family setup, everything works great. But, you know, as soon as you start adding actual real people into the mix, I think it starts to, as you as you rightfully pointed out, it starts to get a little buggy. Yeah, yeah but, it, but go ahead. Go ahead, Kenny. Well, I, I do want to stand in and step up for, for family sharing a, a little bit here because I want to point out a couple of things. And I don't want this to be a family sharing show because we, we could go on family sharing. But but first, David, to your, your point, you know, I would say probably your setup pre-family sharing is not a typical setup. I, I would say your setup is probably a power user setup. I would say the typical person who sets up their account and starts purchasing things from iTunes, they're going to have two or three separate members in a family with two or three separate iTunes accounts and who have purchased things on those separate accounts. They're not going to have the, the three or four individual family iCloud accounts and the one master iTunes account because because you really thought that solution out to think in absence of a solution like family sharing what is the best solution for our family where we can share purchases and still have our own separate iCloud accounts. I mean, you had to put some thought into what that setup was. You had to go research it. And I would say the typical Apple customer isn't. They're going to sign up for an iCloud account or they're going to enter their email address in, you know, when they're prompted. And they're just going to start downloading from iTunes. And they're either going to come into a relationship or come into a family. Um, and they're all going to have this baggage accumulated already within the terms of, of purchases. So, I, I think your setup was probably atypical, and I'm not saying that it's a setup that many people and many Mac Power users don't have, but I think your setup was not typical of the family scenario that Apple was anticipating when they came up with family sharing. And I think there have been a lot of family sharing success stories. I, I know you've heard from those people as well. So I, I would be cautious about waving people off of family sharing. It's not perfect, but but it's a start. 
And I think it's a, it's a step in the right direction. And, and that's how Apple does these things. You know, they give us a solution. It's not perfect. Power users in particular, it doesn't work out for them. But it's not designed for you. It's it's designed for the everyday person. And it may work for them. Yeah, I, I do think it will get better. Uh, with the master media account, I guess for lack of a better way to describe it, that still is a problem. If If you are in that group, I think you should wait. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and not to, you know, diverge too much, but I think it's important to note that the iTunes aspect of this is just one part of family sharing. Uh, and I think that's part of what makes it interesting from Apple's perspective is not only do you get this ability to share media and content, but they also sort of thought about, well, what are other things that families often do? So, for example, by creating a family sharing account, you get a shared calendar that's shared with every member of your family unit, which is a nice touch. It's not something, not that it's not something that you couldn't, have done prior to that on your own, but it removes a pain point of having to create that and invite everybody else to it and things like that. It also gives you a shared reminders list. So like it adds in all of these abilities under the umbrella of one, uh, one program. And, and Apple does these things sometimes. I think you're right. it's, it's very ambitious. And I think that's what the best thing about family sharing is, is that Apple identified something that is a problem and recognize the fact that so many people have families full of uh, Apple devices that it tried to find a way to unify all those things. So I, I really appreciate some of the more ancillary features of it, such as the calendar sharing, the reminder sharing, location sharing, automatically enabling that for family members, you know, if they want to opt into that or letting family members find each other's iOS devices, which I think is also like a really nice touch because as anybody who's ever lost an, uh, an iOS device or a Mac knows, trying to scramble around and find someone else's device you can log in and, and find yours and try to locate it can often be a hassle so having you know the your family members have the ability to quickly uh locate a lost device for example is a is a really nice feature so it's it's great that they think about it in this very holistic sense of let's look at all the different aspects of family a family that has multiple devices and try to uh accomplish you know a lot of these tasks that previously would have required a power user to help you maybe set up a shared calendar for your entire family. Um, and, and so I think, you know, Katie's right. It's, it's very, uh, it's not to dissuade people from using family sharing. Cause I think that that, that aspect of it, which got a lot of attention is perhaps, you know, only one part of a larger package. I think it's a pretty big part though. It is a pretty big part. I don't disagree with that, but it's there, there are other things in here too. So it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's got a lot of different facets to it. And I think that's what makes it complicated too, because these were things that you could sort of duplicate in a different way, except for the media sharing, because that thing is so locked down to Apple and, and, and licenses and content restrictions and all that. And I mean, a, a solution, and if I had a you know magic wand would be to say, okay, you're going to go to family sharing. You can make a one-time assignment of your digital rights to wherever you want. So I could have four people in my family. I could, put the Hannah Montana stuff into one of my daughter's accounts and the Miles Davis into my account and, and just kill absolutely that fifth account, you know, to move the media. But, you know, I also happen to know that that's not the way contracts work and that's never going to happen. So we're going to have to figure a way around it. Yeah. It um, would be nice if Apple would give us a way to merge accounts, but uh, yeah, no. I don't think they have any ability to, I just don't, I don't think they have, it's not that they don't want to. Let's just put it that way. Um, yeah. And that point that Dan made about find your iPhone as a dad, I can tell you that not a month goes by that I don't have to log in to find my iPhone, unlog my account, log in one of my daughter's accounts and have it find her phone. 
you know, and, Mm -hmm. and for the brief time that I had family sharing working, all I had to do is open the app and I could pick her phone and press a button. And it was very nice. I mean, there's a lot of this stuff that is, is really great. And I haven't given up on it. I I just think I'm going to wait for iOS nine. And I think that, you know, those bugs that I was hitting, hopefully I don't think I was alone. And I I suspect a lot of them will be squashed, but boy, I'm going to test the heck out of it because my family is really good about trying new technologies, but they got really angry about this. (laughs) You know, So if I'm trying to make this move again, it's got to be like ready to go because if there is no room here or they actually will lock me out of the house. Yeah. All right. Well, before this turns into the family sharing show, um, let's talk about some of those other medias, because there's a huge, huge pot of media that that comes along with with Apple devices that people want to share. You got photos, you got apps, you got music, you got videos. I mean, that's probably the bulk of things that people want to share. And a lot of that's covered by family sharing. But, you know, let's talk about it, some some of the stuff that's not. And, you know, maybe a good place to start is is photos, because I know just as we're recording this podcast, another developer seed of, of 10.3 with another tweaked version of the new new photos app was released. And I'm not sure that it, it solves this problem. But, um, you know, how, how do we handle photos within families? That's that's a big deal in a family, especially when you've yeah. got multiple people taking photos. Maybe do they want to all contribute to to one pot of photos? What do you do if you're at a family event and, you know, a wedding or a vacation? And how do you combine everybody's photos or how do you share photos amongst other members of your family? Uh, photo sharing is a, is a big deal, especially among families. Yeah, and, and so family sharing does give you some facility for that because you can set it, it sets up a shared family album, kind of in the same way I was talking about a shared family calendar for before. Um, but I believe like with that, you still have to add manually, sort of add things into the family album, which I, I don't think is necessarily the wrong way to do this. It, it is a big, you know, it, it's fascinating to me how big a problem it is. I was thinking back to a couple of years ago, I was at a family reunion, and there's like. 30 people taking pictures, you know, family members from cousins and all this family friends and all. And I'm like, how to get all these pictures in one place so that everybody can see them. And especially because so many of the people I were dealing with was older family members who don't necessarily have smartphones or what have you. Uh, And that's a that's a tricky problem. Uh, And I don't think I think you're right, Katie, that this doesn't quite address it. It does provide sort of a a light touch at this, and I think part of the reason it's so light is because the iCloud photo library functionality wasn't built out yet. And so they were trying to sort of work around that. Um, but having a shared album is, you know, certainly helps in some ways. I think that the, you know, the primary way to share photos still remains the iCloud photo sharings. I don't know if they still, I think they renamed it, but it used to be called shared photo streams. Um, but the idea that you can create sort of mini albums, invite people to them and then post to them. And and as of, I believe, iOS 8, have other people post to them as well uh, who are shared, in, who have that album shared with them. Um, so there's a lot of trickiness when it comes to photos. I think you're very right because photos are also very personal. Um, so not, you don't want a solution where it's like everybody's taking pictures and they're automatically getting melted together into one big library. That's, that's kind of like the same nightmare along David's Hannah Montana lines there. Uh, but I think that, you know, family sharing does sort of start to give us an idea of what this might look like. Um, but it's very simplistic still. And I, I think you're right that it doesn't quite address all the things that we want to do with our photos when it comes to having family, you know, a family photo album. 
it seems like there's really two problems here. The first one is just managing photos is difficult. I mean, yeah. let's take the sharing and family piece out of it. Um, you know, iPhoto, I was just working in iPhoto on my wife's computer the other day and I forgot just how much, how terrible <laughs> it has become. And uh, but I don't the, touch it anymore, honestly. Like yeah. I have all my stuff in there on a Mac mini that's sort of my media server in the house. Yeah. But I don't, I never use the front end of iPhoto anymore. So, so we've got that problem, which I think, I feel pretty confident Apple's making some really great progress with this new new photos app we're going to see in the not too distant future. Um, but the the second problem is is sharing. So you know if you're in a family, how do you get family event photos? And and the problem Dan described is exactly right. My daughters take a lot of pictures with their photos with their friends and things that I don't want in the family library, and they don't want there either. And I take pictures of you know like. Um, iPad cases, you know, because that's how exciting my life is. <laughs> or screenshots, if yeah, you're me. Yeah, exactly, that they don't <laughs> want true. in their library. So so uh, what we do is we have, you know, there's the solution in our, our families. We have shared galleries. And because I'm Max Sparky, the uh, Apple, you know, sickness has spread throughout my family far and wide. So when we get together, uh, the Sparks clan gets together. Just about everybody's on an iPhone or something like that. So it's really no trouble to have a shared gallery. And, and we make them per event, like um, we'll have an Easter 2015 event. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and when we're all together, and even some of us that aren't together, we'll all just put photos they take into that gallery that they, they feel like sharing. Like I'll take some of my family at home or at church or something. And I'll put, you know, of those 10 photos, maybe I'll put three or four of them into that shared gallery. And my sister in San Diego will do the same. And it's really kind of a nice way to share photos. And if you're all in the Apple ecosystem, it works pretty well. You get them that drives to your device. As we get the photos app unroll, you know, rolls out, you're going to just see them on your computer as well. And I don't think that's a bad solution. Now, no, I agree. Um, and, and I don't think that a, a good solution is one that would put all those 10 pictures up there automatically. So I would like to manually have to choose. And I think most people would agree. I would say, though, uh, not everybody's going to go to a family event that's going to have all of everybody's going to be on iOS and understand how to put something in a gallery. One of the things I do at bigger family events is I will take my um, iPad with me and my little lightning to SD card adapter and tell people, hey, I'm going to put up a bunch of pictures. Would you like me to include any of yours? And everybody just hands me their SD card and then I slurp them into the iPad. And um, that's only been extremely embarrassing a few times and um, that and, and, you, and, and so you, I, you you immediately delete all those right i never say a word and, and then just um, totally save them and, and yeah, exactly. you have a little album called blackmail Katie. yeah I, I went with a dumber uh, even a dumber solution than that which was and by dumber i mean more just like uh simpler i yeah. i have a i set up a few years ago for with this big family reunion thing i set up an email address that people because i had a lot of people at that one who were you know older folks who maybe had email on their computers but didn't have a smartphone you know were taking pictures on like you know old point shoot digital cameras yeah. and so i set up an email address where they could send attachments and it basically just filtered them right into a dropbox folder yeah. And then I could send that link out because Dropbox will let you make a public folder and just set up things as a really nice little like gallery, just like a grid of thumbnails. And so that was that ended up being the easiest solution because nobody had to like sign up for a service, create a username. It's like everybody's got at least email and knows how to attach a photo to it. Um, and so that was and, and that worked pretty well. 
Um, I would love to be able to set up something where, you know, what my family could use like a shared gallery because I feel like that would definitely improve our lives. And we have, we're probably at like 85% saturation on iOS and uh, Apple devices. So just tell the other 15% they're out. Sorry. (laughs) You're no longer in the family. And you just (laughs) use that uh, send to Dropbox email service? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah. that that unfortunately, I would be great if I had Dropbox allowed that sort of natively. But the the, the sense of Dropbox service works great for that. You could yeah. also do it with like a Hazel role if you had set it up with a specific uh, email recipient. Then you could create a gallery. I, I I could I could nerd out on that one for a while. <laughs> you, you know something, my wife and I do um, whenever we go to, and it's you don't see it as much anymore. But it used to be every time you went to a wedding, they had like those disposable cameras. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, whenever we go to a wedding together, we would always get under the table and like have someone take a picture of us. Like we're like crawling out from underneath the table, like that we were doing something we shouldn't have been doing. And we did that like probably 15 times over the years. And only one time has someone called us on it. (laughs) It's just a little experiment, you know, just check to see if they ever developed those pictures (laughs) or just to see what they would think. You know, (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people just think we're complete weirdos, but it's kind of interesting. I'm just saying social, social experiments. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just like that. One anyway, neat feature uh, that, that we do with the iCloud photo sharing is we've got a couple of elderly family members that we've set up on, on iCloud with photo sharing. Um, specifically, my grandmother has an iPad and my grandfather, uh, we, he has a 24 inch iMac that was a hand me down. And neither of them are very sophisticated computer users. And so these devices are basically big photo frames for them. You know, for my grandfather, the the iMac, we just have it set for like a two-minute timeout for the screensaver, and it just rotates the photos in his, his iPhoto library, and he likes to sit there and watch the photos go by. Um, and with my grandmother, kind of the same thing on, on her iPad. And we have set up um, in several family members' accounts shared photo streams that's just a, a grandma shared stream and a grandpa. And I think actually it's the same photo stream for both of them. So we've set up shared streams that we've set up on their devices that they're automatically subscribed to, that they automatically accept the photos that come in there. And then so when we have special events, it's a way for us to automatically push those photos to them. So it just comes up comes up on the rotation. You know, we did that when we were in uh, Alaska as a family. Uh, my immediate family went to Alaska a couple of summers ago. And that's where, when I was in Alaska and we had a good Wi-Fi hotspot, I just immediately uploaded, um, you know, about two dozen photos to them through that shared photo stream. And I said, yeah, just just watch your computer tonight and, and they'll you'll see them. They'll come up in the rotation. <laughs> and, and that was the easiest way to get them to them. It was great. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, that's something you can do now. That And it's not been that long that you could do this. Right, yeah. Have you ever, have you guys ever seen, and maybe I'm going to dig up the link. Somebody wrote this up. I want to say it was Sal Sagoyan, but maybe it was somebody else. But the, uh, it's an Apple script and automator script that you can put on an iMac at a party. And it, people can just walk up to it and they can push the button, take a picture of themselves. And it captures the photo and then it plays the. Oh, it's um, a, an iMac. Uh, it's, it's an iMac photo booth, right? Exactly. And it, it'll oh, just cool. it'll loop the photo. So like you put up the iMac. If you've got a big party at your house, you put up the iMac in the corner. Uh, people can just walk up at any time, add their picture to the list, and it'll just keep looping. And then, you know, you could even share it to an Apple TV with, you know, all the fancy sharing features we have now. So that's kind of fun, too. But but the, I think the photo problem in terms of just sharing in general um, You've got to come up with a way to share an album, but not all photos. And I think they've kind of made progress with that. Mm-hmm. I uh, I agree. And I, I think even moving away from photo stream where that was even sometimes a problem when it just came to maintaining your own photos, 
because yeah, you know, I remember when they first launched PhotoStream, there was an option on the Apple TV to use your PhotoStream as a screensaver. And oh, so I would bad idea! These, bad yeah, idea! Bad, not only a bad idea, but also occasionally just a really boring idea. Because like I would get this screensaver full of screenshots because <laughs> like, like hundreds of screenshots on my phone, and it's like that's not interesting. This could be something that's really cool. I guess that is a me problem, but also I agree with you. It is a bad idea for most people problem because there are always some pictures that maybe you just don't want. Um, whether they just be pictures that are like, oh, that was a blurry picture. There's my thumb in front of it, you know, or what have you. Um, or, or, or in my case, the most recent new feature in one password. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, but that's what you do. That's a parental control feature. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But when you give your kids an iOS device is you set their iCloud account to photo stream to the family Apple TV. And now you mm. say, all right, <laughs> we'll be watching. It's a preventive, preventive measure. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> So. I like that. That's a good idea. Yeah. Now, David, you you used to, and I don't know if you still did. I know you talked about it on our photo show. Didn't you used to have a separate account on your computer just for iPhoto? Do you yeah. still do that? Uh, yeah, years ago, I had because we had a family shared iMac. My, when my kids were younger, I didn't feel that they needed their own computers, and I wanted to keep the computer in a centralized location in the house. Maybe that's part of this family show as well. I don't know, but you know, I just didn't want them in their room surfing the web because the web can be a very scary place for a parent, <laughs> you know. But the uh, so we had a, a shared family computer, and we had a login on that computer that had an iTunes account, the shared family iTunes account and a shared iPhoto library. And we would just, you know, log in and download our cameras to that iPhoto library. So we had one place that everything was getting captured. But over the years, the iPhones became cameras. I mean, they became really good cameras. And so all of a sudden, you know, the process of taking cards and plugging them into computers to download photos becomes something much more rare. And frankly, the whole the whole system just kind of fell apart at that point. And I we've given up on that. I still have that shared family library. It's kind of my archive library. And I, I have it on, you know, backed up seven different ways. But uh, at this point, we all have our own photo libraries. But I guess, you know, to a certain extent, that is a possible solution. Although I would argue that in 2015, it's not a very good one. Yeah. Now, I will have to yield to both of you on this because, admittedly, I have not been brave enough to load up the, the Photos beta. But will the new Photos app that Apple is has introduced in beta form in 10.3 and is supposedly coming out in the, in the coming months, perhaps the coming weeks, because it's coming along quite a bit, is any of this going to get any easier with Photos? Um, uh, man managing a large photo library is a lot easier, faster, better. But, but I don't think have... that there's anything particularly where it comes to sharing that is my I'm thinking not that I know. I, I honestly I'm with you, Katie. I actually haven't done this yet because in, in part I'm a little I'm a little wary to pull the trigger on that, given the reliability problems that have cropped up in some other places and photos being the one thing that's you really kind of don't want to mess with because they're hard to replace. Um, and in fact, my Mac media server is still running on Mavericks. It's, it'll get updated to Yosemite one of these days, though. I'll, t I'll tell you one thing I did in anticipation, and this is somewhat related of potentially pulling the trigger and updating to the photos beta, uh, is if you're an Amazon Prime member, they just, um, I believe yeah. they have unlimited photo storage now for, for Prime members. And so one of the things that I did is I did a complete export of my entire photo library. I, I have a Drobo, so I was able to export all of that onto my Drobo. And I figured it was just a good thing to have. So I just exported the um, the the 
you know, large size of the master files. And that, that took some time. So I just set it and walked away and did something else. And then overnight, I took all of those masters that I had exported, you know, leaving my iPhoto library alone and downloaded the Amazon app and had them suck that up. And there were a few errors along the way, but 99 plus percent of my iPhoto library is, is now backed up on Amazon. So, And this uh, is a great solution for uh, you know, Dropbox has big limits now. If you've got a transporter or a transporter offsite, I mean, there's no reason not to back these things up seven different places because yep. they're your photos. Google, too, I think, if you don't mind having your photos upload, they just added it so that I think um, the photos you upload in what used to be Google Plus but may no longer be Google Plus soon now go into Google Drive, I believe. You can see all your photos there. So, yeah, if any place, storage is cheap, right? So I feel like this is one of those things where you guys are totally right back up everywhere that you can and as much as you can because it's the, the stuff you don't want to lose. Yeah, yeah. And Flickr I mean, now. Flickr is easy because it's direct export yeah. with an iPhoto. Well, it's like, I, I don't know if you've spent any time in an Apple store, but if you know anybody that works for Apple, they're going to tell you about, you know, the daily cry fest that happens when someone walks in and their hard drive fails and they've lost, you know, years of photos of their yeah. kids or their college experience or whatever. And it's heartbreaking. You know? I, yeah. I never, having been in it and being the it person for the family, that's like one of those things I, I never want to be on that side of it where it's like, yeah. <laughs> cause it's like, I just hate telling people like, Oh no, you should have backed up. Like, no, they can't yeah, do anything gone. about it now. Yeah. Hey, um, uh, but but in terms of photo sharing, I don't feel like we're in that bad of shape right now. Uh, if no. you're on, if you're in, you know, the Apple ecosystem, you use these shared libraries or photo streams. Um, if not, you know, there are solutions like Dropbox or even in Evernote or wh- whatever your cloud service of choice is. Yeah, but, there's, there are many options. You know, what's funny is we we didn't talk about any like the photo services in this conversation. Yeah, I, I think because so many of the photo services are aimed much more, uh, they're almost, almost more curatorial. Like I think of Flickr and, you know, I used to certainly upload a bunch of stuff to Flickr, but even when I did, it was very much selected, right? I would go through my vacation photos and I would upload like, oh, this is the best 25 photos from my trip or the best 50 photos. I wouldn't upload, like just dump everything because more often than not, I would just have a lot of those photos that were like, oh, this is the blurry photo, or I took five different copies of this photo because I really wanted to make sure and try to get it, right? So I always felt like, who's going to browse my Flickr library and look through 20 photos of the same landscape, some of which were slightly differently lit? Um, So I feel like the photo services are much better at sort of as a presentation thing, and you want to put your best foot forward, and they're not so much an archival thing where I want to have all of my photos all the time, even though, you know, Flickr does have the ability to do that. Yeah. Hey, let's take a break and talk about our sponsor today. The show's uh, got an exclusive sponsor, our friends over at Smile. And one of their applications I would like to talk about is PDF Pen Scan Plus. PDF Pen Scan Plus gives you the ability to scan an OCR right on your iPhone with this beautifully designed app that's always with you. Um, They've been making lots of improvements to this app lately. Like one of the things they've added now is you can hold the camera or your phone, I guess, uh, over a document and it will not only find the the borders of the document, it will wait until the camera is stable and take a, a, lo- a rock solid picture of it. I just had this happen the other day. I had to go to the doctor and I had my receipt sitting there. I'm sitting there in the waiting room. So I pull out PDF pen scan plus I lay the receipt on the table in front of me. I open up my iPhone. I, let, I just hold PDF pen scan plus over the top of it and 
I don't push any buttons. It just sits there. It gets the right image. It gets the borders just right. takes the picture. Then I give it a name that includes the name of my medical provider, and I save it to my Magic Action Dropbox file, you know, because it uploads right there. That's another thing they've added that's really cool is it remembers where you save things. So the next time you go, you don't have to drill for whatever location you have. They've taken all of the, you know, all of the, the resistance out of the process. I give it the magic name that I want to give it using... Uh, PD, uh, using another uh, Smile product, um, Text Expander, to give it the name, right? <laughs> because that's how I roll. And as soon as I press the save button on my computer back at home, it grabs it out of Dropbox, files it away in the right folder, puts, you know, all the magic that I need to have happen just happens. And all I had to do is pull out my um, my phone, take a picture, and give it the right name. And then afterwards, I could shred the document, throw it away right there. And the guy sitting next to me looks at me like I'm some kind of weirdo. But hey, you know what? I took care of a problem, all with PDF Pin Scan Plus. It's a great application. So the version 2.0 is as of March 18th, 2015. So it's pretty new. It's a free upgrade for existing users. Now you've got touch-free scanning with your iPhone and iPad camera. It detects the page edges. Camera automatically crops the scan. In-camera settings for color, grayscale, black, and white. In-camera settings for page size, including legal, business card, receipt sizes, and more. This thing just automates the whole process you need to go check it out. So it's a, it's also uh, available with the PDF business kit. So if you've already got some of the smile products, you can just add it in and probably get a little discount by that way. But once you go into the app store right now and check it out, PDF pin scan plus it's better than ever. And it allows you to take documents and turn them into their digital equivalents right on the fly. I kind of feel like a spy when I use it, you know, because it's like I grew up watching cold war and reading cold war fiction, just pull out your camera. I just, I think it should come with a string, you know, so you, the old um, spy movies, they always had a string that would hang from the camera to get the focal length. Right. Mm. Am I dating myself here, Katie? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's all right. Just tune out, Katie. It doesn't yeah. matter. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, the, uh, but anyway, so PDF pin scan plus go check it out. So thanks smile. They're the exclusive sponsor today. Great developers, great people, great apps. Go check it out. All right, so we've I think we've pretty much covered apps in our in our when we talked quite a bit about family sharing and and we touched quite a bit on on music and and the idea of uh of iTunes match, but let's talk a little bit about um you know music in the in the context of you've got this big library and a bunch of of users and you know maybe David you could tell us a little bit about how you do it in in your family and it sounds like you guys are back to you have one big library or do do people still have their own individual libraries on oh, their machine and do you we, keep we it local big, or okay we got the big library and um all right tell us uh, about that well, I mean, it's big, but I guess that's a relative term. Depends on how much you like music, but we're we're within the track limit of iTunes Match. Which I uh, think is twenty five thousand. Yeah, I think we're in a neighborhood of about eighteen thousand tracks. Um, so that's quite a, a lot of music. And the interesting thing is, I you know I love jazz, and my daughter. You know, it's just we've got a lot of different music interests, so we have quite a bit of music. Uh, but it's all in one big library. Uh, we use iTunes Match. Which is great. I mean, iTunes Match is one of those things that I think got initially kind of a bad rap. And to what extent they had problems, they fixed it. And it just works rock solid for me. I can be anywhere and just download what I need. And we have different kind of like strategies about how we manage that big library. Most all of us use playlists. I'm a big fan of smart playlists. So I am... Um, I'm pretty religious about rating my music. I've been that way for years. And so if like I've got a West Coast jazz genre, 
and in it I've rated all the music and then I have a playlist called you know West Coast Jazz and it's anything that I've got in that genre rated three stars or better and because that's all done automatically for me if I make changes in ratings I'm automatically making changes to the playlists and so although I I have access to this massive library I only really see the stuff that has filtered through these smart playlists I've set up Wow, you're you're so much better than I am. Where I just have this giant morass of library, and I do everything manually. Uh, my my friend Lex Friedman makes fun of me for all the time that all the time because I don't use playlists like at all. He's so she's smart playlists. I'm like, uh, I've never taken the time to go through and and fix fix the broken metadata, much less rate all my songs. Well, so well, I'm terrible in this regard. Do you know if does Lex do like me? Does he have a shared library for his whole family, or do they have individual? I don't know. I guess he probably does, at least maybe he and his wife do, but their kids are fairly young, so I don't think they've yet hit the point where they have as much as much media, but I don't know. I'm sure they have plenty of TV shows and stuff that they watch. Well, my, my point is that once you're, you start sharing with other people, you actually, it's just a self-preservation uh, thing. I you, see, I see. You, you really have to start getting smart about it because otherwise there's just this fire hose of Hannah Montana and stuff you don't want to see yeah. uh, coming at you. I love the idea. I just have, I've never been able to devote the time. <laughs> yeah. Every time I think about it, I was like, oh, do I like this three or do I like this three and a half? It may be well, too late, really. Because, yeah, I think I've, I'm declaring iTunes bankruptcy. <laughs> well, with streaming services on the rise, right, maybe yeah. it's not necessary anymore. It will know. The computer will know how much I like a song. Yeah. What about but, you, Katie? Um, I've, I would say 90% of the stuff in my iTunes library is is rated. And honestly, the stuff that isn't, I probably just need to go through and create a playlist and for the stuff that isn't and either just select all and delete or, or get rid of it. I've got a lot of junk in my library that, that probably could go. But I, I should take better advantage of, of creating smart playlists. I have a lot of manually created playlists, and I listen to those over and over again. The, the funny thing is my kids have the, figured out how to game the system. So, like, I have one called five stars you know that's that those are the really great songs that i just love sometimes i just want my favorite music and once in a while my kids and they've admitted that they do this intentionally just to screw with me they'll like take the frozen song and give it five stars so i'll be like (laughs) sitting there and all of a sudden the frozen song starts playing i'm like what is this you know you rated it so how how do you distinguish dave's five star music um, from Sarah's five-star music. I, I am the exclusive raider of music in the Sparks empire. Well, damn. <laughs> my, my kids have no interest in like going through and rating me. They think I'm completely insane. They're like, wait a second, you go and listen to every song and then you click a star. That, you know, it's the dumbest thing they've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So it, it's not like I'm forcing it down on them, but I have been running an experiment and I guess this is somewhat related to sharing is, um, they had a deal with AT&T where I think it's $15 a month and you can have your whole family uh, on on Beats Music. So I've been doing that for a couple months now. And we have our different Beats libraries. And I find Beats is really great. I like the playlist that they collate for me or curate, I guess is the proper word. And, and as I listen to music, it starts making recommendations of stuff that I haven't heard before. I'm, I'm leaning towards streaming anyway at this point. And I yeah. think as that becomes more of a thing, I think Apple, obviously, since they bought Beats, they're, they've got to be planning some kind of big streaming initiative. Uh, maybe all this stuff goes away. You don't have to worry about sharing it because everybody's going to have their own sharing uh, music sharing account where they've got their own collated set of music. Yeah. Now, I know you've got your big library on your, your iMac. Do you then keep a subset of music? 
on your on say your your MacBook Pro or do other people keep yeah. subsets of music? Well, okay. and this is where it gets exciting because we have the 10 device limit. Right. Mm. I have an iMac, I have a laptop, an iPad and an iPhone, but I'm only allowed to use it on my um on my iMac and my iPhone because mm. you know, I've got three other people in my house that own a bunch of devices too. So I'm limited yeah. on my devices. So but, everybody everybody gets two and then mom and dad get three? Well, you know, in my house, dad gets two. So, but you know, I got thinking about it whenever I'm out with my laptop, I never listen to music on my laptop. You know, I have my phone in my pocket and I'll just put my headphones in. So I don't really need it. And I don't listen that often on my iPad where my daughter is carrying an iPad at school every day. And, you know, she wants to be able to get it. I'm like, well, you can have my third slot. You know, that's fine. I did the centralization thing, which is, you know, my uh, my iMac or my Mac Mini, which is my media center, has a all of the music files locally, um, and is set to download new stuff as I purchase it or as I add it. Um, but everything else, my iMac, my MacBook Air, and my iPhone and iPad are all on iTunes Match. Uh, so I'm I'm the one person scenario for what what David's shooting for there. Um, so everything else I tried, I've, and I've been doing this for years, basically, as long as iTunes Match has been around, and even a little bit before that, because there were some apps that did similar things back in the day, because I just didn't, I knew as soon as I started to have multiple, like the same copy of the so- of songs on multiple devices, it's like, well, that's just a, that's a waste, you know, I mean, and, and it does sometimes, you know, catch me unaware, because there have been times where I'm on a, on a flight, for example, and I'm listen, I'm on my MacBook, and I'll be like, oh, I should listen to some music, and realize there's, there's actually no music on my MacBook Air. Um, so that every once in a while, I do run into problems when I don't have connectivity, but by and large, like not having, I've done this for years, not having physical copies, physical copies of my media files on my other Macs. And it works great for the most part. And especially with these small, uh, capacity SSDs and all the Macs now, the mm-hmm. laptops. Yep. It, and if you use smart playlists or just even dumb playlists, it makes it really easy. Just, you can delete the music if you need extra space. And then you say, okay, now bring down the West coast jazz library and yep. that's fine. You press a button and it comes down. Um, so this stuff is super powerful if you have any kind of need to manage your memory space on a laptop. And, you know, if family sharing would work to the extent that I wouldn't get, you know, ostracized by my family, uh, the, uh, I would be so happy to be able to put all of my iTunes library on all of my devices to the extent I want it. You know, this isn't by choice that I'm, you don't have it on my laptop or my iPad. I think I would probably find uses for it if I could, but, yeah. um, with a, uh, with a 10 device limit, you know, I got to make choices. So now, uh, how does, how does home sharing factor in to all of this? Cause I've got to tell you, the only thing that I really use home sharing for is sharing content to Apple TVs and mainly video content to Apple TVs. Do you, do people use home sharing anything more for anything else? I think it's a vestige sort of, you know, it's left over because at one point that was Apple's solution for sharing media between different people in a family, right? Was you have this library, let's, you can sort of stream directly uh, over the local network. Uh, I still use it occasionally because there are some things that aren't synced by iTunes Match and that's where it comes in useful. So if you use uh, audiobooks, for example, um, that's a really good example of something that I don't believe automatically syncs with iTunes Match. So if you want to stream, I have some uh, like old radio dramas, radio plays that are uh, sort of I shuffled them into the audiobook section so that they wouldn't come up in my, you know, when I shuffle my library or whatever. Um, 
so that's one place that I still use it on occasion because I'll be uh, I'll have my iPad or iPhone out and think, oh, I want to listen to this this episode of this radio show and uh, or this part of this audio book. And home sharing does let you do that without downloading a copy of it uh, to your local device. So that's that's about the only place I've really run into still using it. But it I feel like it's one of those features that is might be on the chopping block at some point because Apple figures nobody else actually uses it. Well, the um, for instance, the last time I needed it, I haven't checked this. Maybe they fixed it, but like I had ripped the Star Wars DVDs. You know, I had mm-hmm. my Star Wars DVDs, and I did not buy them. I'm not even sure you can buy digitally buy the Star no, Wars. I movies digitally. don't think you can. Yeah. So anyway, I, I ripped them. They're in my library on my iMac, and home sharing is the only way I can watch it on my Apple TV. Yeah, video. That's a good yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah, and yes. and speaking of video, um, other than home sharing. You know, how how are we sharing, you know, video besides using David's other than other ways that perhaps Apple would prefer that we don't? Um, I I think it is just either home sharing or you've 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 purchased a video that you're authorized to share through family sharing or you use the separate account method uh, where you've got video that multiple people are authorized to use. Well, I thought it was interesting, Dave, when you talked about your daughter earlier wanting to bring the DVD over to someone else's house. And my first thought from a technology perspective was, well, maybe if they had like an Apple TV, you could just airplay it from her iOS device. But like then you also have to kind of then assume that everybody has an airplay capable display, which is not necessarily the case. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to this battle isn't over because I, I want to buy it. <laughs> well, you, know, you just, so you just need to get HD. the enhanced DVD. The, the DVD yeah. that comes with the iTunes downloads. I mean, that that's primarily what I buy. You I'm, know what? It's funny if you, you, say if you that. can find them. Yeah. You know, the enhanced DVD when you buy. So this just happened to us last weekend as well. My uh, my wife was given a CD or I'm sorry, a DVD that had the word enhanced DVD includes digital download on on the cover. The, yeah, and that always fact, makes me nervous because sometimes yeah. you can't tell. Okay, what exactly oh. do you do you include? Oh, I I have yeah. a good story about this too. When you're done, so, okay, so go I, ahead. So I unload it. And in fact, I I should probably write a post on it, but I, I try not to be go so dark on my website because I would definitely go dark with this post because I open it up. I'm thinking it's got an iTunes download code, right? And no, it doesn't. It has a um a um it has a a download code for the Target. Um, digital streaming service. What is that? Target? Yeah, exactly. Oh, everybody has one. And and so then I lo- I log in and they say, oh, this service shut down two weeks ago. <laughs> but if you type in your name and address, then we're going to give you an alternative login with this, and you give us this code at some other location. And I was going through multiple layers, and it, yep. it felt like more like skeevy every level and, I got to. And that's the point in time that you just pulled out handbrake and said, I can take care of this problem myself. Yeah, it, you know, and, well, you, you, you just jumped to the end of the story, but that's exactly what happened. Because at, at one point, they're asking for my credit card. And I'm like, wait a second. This is supposed to be a free download for a disc we bought. And it's like, I even found myself starting to fill in the form. And it's like, you know, at some point the brain kicks and said, okay, you've gone farther down this hole than you ever intended to go, you know, delete, 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 you know, shut the window. And I said, no, honey, you're just going to have to watch it on the Xbox. You know, I, I haven't ripped it. Cause I, I don't know if it's worth, she'll probably watch it once. It's not worth the trouble to rip it, but, um, you know, just be careful, I guess, when you get those digital download copies of, of um Yeah, you end up with a lot DVDs. of strange. So I got a Blu-ray for Christmas um, of Lawrence of Arabia, which is one of my favorite movies. 
Uh, and it too came with a digital, a coupon for a digital download. And I, I wrote a post about this, which you can find on six colors. Um, and it's uses, uh, ultraviolet, which I don't familiar, familiar with, but that's the movies, movie industry's attempt to create sort of digital downloads. Um, and it was a just travesty from start to finish where among other things, it claimed that I had like a, uh, when I looked at it, I was like, wait, this says this like expired, like a month ago like a month before christmas uh, okay but i went in and it did let me redeem it at one of three of their services which included uh voodoo which is owned by walmart flickster which i had never heard of and sony's own movie store uh and then i you could like add it to your library the one nice thing about it was once you added it to this ultraviolet library you could watch it in various different services but the thing that kind of just made me roll my eyes was that it came, uh, the, the version they gave me was an, an SD version, um, which, you know, I don't know if you've watched Lawrence Arabia, but it's not really, I mean, this was a Blu-ray for a reason. I wanted the nice, like, beautiful high-def version, uh, not the 480p, you know, fits on my iPad version. That's really not the way to watch this movie. Um, and so I was thinking, well, I could have just ripped it, you know, essentially off the DVDs that I already own because I own a DVD copy of this. But there's no way to rip the Blu-ray really easily because Macs don't have Blu-ray drives. So I ended up with this bizarre like, OK, I've got a 480p version of this. I guess next time I'm on a, I'm on a plane and want to watch Lawrence Arabia on my iPad. I guess I can do that. Oh, probably well, not, because you probably have to be connected to the Internet to authenticate it oh man that's the worst yeah, yeah and, right. and you could upgrade it to like an hd version but i had to pay for it then and i was like well i'm not paying for it i just got this blu-ray yeah they're looking at it as another opportunity to make money and so annoying. and, and, and i should i should just say f- full disclosure um we, we are not uh endorsing any illegal activity you have to make the decision for yourself whether you believe that that is legal illegal moral immoral laws vary blah 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 how's that for a disclaimer david you know it's it's so nice that we have an adult on our show because yeah. without katie here i don't know i don't know anything about this ripping thing they're talking about i'm but just the, uh, i i have just given in you know i have surrendered and to the point where when i want a movie now i nine times out of ten i will rent it on itunes because yeah. i you know most movies i watch once um that's true yep Same and, and then if it's something that i really like the imitation game is something i can see myself watching more than once i buy it on itunes and yes. i understand i'm i'm hitching my wagon to the apple drm and whatever that means but the fact is i've got itunes and macs and apple tvs in my life and buying it from them means that i can turn any one of those on and just watch it and so long as apple can continue continuously provide that feature where i can just watch it i'm okay well i think you're probably safer david there than you are with the with the target store yeah exactly i mean it's just it's completely nuts i mean i understand these guys it costs a lot of money to make and market these movies and they need to make money on them but they it seems like they go out of their way to make it yep so it's, well, they they don't want to give the control to Apple and the other technology companies. They want the bigger piece of the pie. And that means, you know, they're going to do things their own way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's move on to a, a different topic and uh, switching gears a little bit away from media and more to families keeping in touch. And, uh, you know, most most family members, they, they probably have iPhones, but. Some people have iPads or maybe even iPod Touches. Believe it or not, the iPod Touch is not dead, despite rumors to the contrary. Uh, and the fact that it hasn't been updated in, in years. John Syracuse still has one, although he does have an iPhone now. No, um, he has an iPhone now. Yes. He does have an even, iPhone now. Even he. Even John Syracuse. So then it's the iPod dead. Touch is dead. 
It's not officially dead. Yeah. It's not dead, but if 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 the right person at Apple tripped over an extension cord, it would die. <laughs> but is it, I suppose though iPod Touch used to be the device that you got your kid kind of pre-iPhone before you got your kid an iPhone. Although I suppose or, be, now, or before the $250 iPad. Yeah, but I suppose now iPads, but but regardless, one of the things that you're able to do now um is iPads with or without cellular data connections and iPod touches, which do not have cellular data connections, um, are, are great devices for families still being able to limitedly keep in touch. Um, or, you know, there are now options for people to keep in touch without cellular data use. You know, I know we had, um, I had some family members who were traveling overseas. They were not particularly technical and did not want to go into the whole, you know, buying a SIM, doing the whole SIM card swap thing, but knew that they were just terrified of, you know, getting the hundred, you know, dollar plus, gosh, that's a normal cell phone bill. I'm sorry, the thousand (laughs) dollar plus cell phone bill. Um, you know, because they, they did something they weren't supposed to. And so there were lots of options for us to keep in touch with them, uh, through iMessage, through FaceTime, um, through FaceTime audio now. Uh, so they're, they're great now, uh, ways now for families to keep in touch either with younger members of the family or families who don't have, um, you know, iPhones, uh, just through other devices. And Dan, did you all touch on that at all in your, in your book or? Uh, a little bit. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a problem, as you're alluding to, and there are a lot of tricks in there when it comes to having to deal with that. But I, I don't know how, how much we went into that particular aspect of it. <laughs> um, I mean, I just one of the things I, th- I think about now is, you know, just I have a lot of friends now who don't necessarily live in the United States. And yeah. I, I was just thinking, oh my gosh, I'm messaging with somebody in London right now. And I'm not paying exorbitant fees to do this because this yeah. is an iMessage. And I and I look twice now to make sure, okay, is that a green bubble or a blue bubble? <laughs> yes, the ever ever popular green and blue bubble checking. Yeah, we talk a little bit about iMessage. And I think, you know, the nice stuff is there are a lot of great communication aspects that we do touch on in the book in terms of being able to stay in touch with people who are far flung because we do have a lot of family members. I have a ton of family members on the West Coast. I live on the East Coast. That definitely makes it a lot harder to stay in touch with them. But we do now, uh, a bunch of us have big uh, iMessage threads and, you know, we respond to people a lot. There's a lot of FaceTime usage. So um, iMessage, I think, is is actually pretty great on, you know, about 90, 95 percent of the time. Um, sometimes it still ends up with with some strange glitches and I've had it fall back to those those dreaded green bubbles. Um, but most of the time it works pretty great. Um, I, I think it's it's a great option for me. I, I'm someone who has a, you know, I have one of those hundred dollar cell phone bills which I kind of roll my eyes at. Um, and I still pay for text message. I have like a 200 text message limit per month because I have this old like $5 add-on plan. I don't have unlimited texting. So that I means actually, you definitely don't have kids. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I, I do have to watch my, own, watch my own texting at some points because if it does do that fallback thing or I text with some of my friends who aren't on uh, iOS devices, then it's definitely a uh, an issue uh, because then you start to mount up those 200 does not take that long as as anybody with kids can attest. Um, so uh, iMessage is, is a great is a great technology for being able to keep in touch and not having to think about all those extra charges. Um, so we do talk a bunch about that. I will say my biggest problem with iMessage is is when you do have one or two people in the family who aren't on on Apple devices and you send a big group text message to, you know, say eight people, if one of those people is not on iMessage, 
you have to be careful because it sends text messages, standard text messages to everybody on that list, Mm -hmm. which is the bane of my existence because now I just sent eight text messages (laughs) instead of one iMessage. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's got to be careful about that. I wish they were a little smarter about that, but I think it's a threading issue because then if you sent two separate threads, one to just the iMessage people and one to just the text message people, then not everybody would see everything. So it gets confusing. I So I'm going to come out a little bit and say that I, I like FaceTime video quite a bit and I use it with my family all the time. And I know when it came out, everybody questioned, is this something that you're actually going to use or not? And I use it. I send FaceTime calls to my kids. I do it with my my more immediate other immediate family members. One of the reasons I want to do it is because I know at some point my kids are going to leave me and I want them used to seeing my <laughs> face. Right. You know what I mean? But but I find when you FaceTime someone video, uh, you actually focus more on the conversation. It's very easy when you're on the phone to like whip up, you know, an email or whatever, you know, do something in the background. Whereas when you're looking at their face, you don't do that. Yeah, it helps a lot. I think with I, so my girlfriend currently lives down in Washington, D.C. So we end up doing FaceTime a lot just to stay in touch, you know, you know, talk and chat and things like that. Uh, and we also use Skype on occasion because you're, there are some neat things you can do on Skype, like uh, screen sharing, which you can't do on um, on a uh, on FaceTime. So, for example, we like to do the crossword puzzle so we can use screen sharing to How do fun. the crossword puzzle together. That's cool. Um, but you can't do that on FaceTime, unfortunately. But I will say that FaceTime's it's 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 much easier than Skype in my experience. It has much better video and audio quality, um, and so I, I like using that wherever I can. But it doesn't do everything that I would like to be able to do on FaceTime. Yeah, another point I'd make is that um, and this really isn't about family sharing so much, but just um, if you have if you're going to make a phone call and you haven't tried FaceTime audio yet, mm-hmm. you really should. Because the audio quality, in my experience, is almost always better than a regular I actually phone call. wish that they made it a little more obvious because I find that a lot of people don't even know about FaceTime audio. Um, I, I think that's one of the great hidden secrets of iOS is that you can make free calls to any other person who has an iOS device or Mac. Um, and it's really, as David says, the quality is great. Um, it's uh, as good as Skype, if not better. It's definitely way better than the traditional phone line, although I haven't had much experience with the HD calling stuff that they've started to roll out. Um, and in fact, one of the things I pointed out when I wrote recently selling on Six Colors about FaceTime is uh, I, you can actually do multi-party FaceTime audio calls. Um, you can add a call in much as you could do a conference call on a standard phone call. So that's actually pretty cool because you can do multi-party uh, FaceTime audio calls. So if you have, you know, three or four family members or friends who you want to keep in touch with and do like, you know, sort of like a group Skype call, you can do that as long as they all have iOS or Macs. Um, you can do that, which is really nifty. Yeah. And then I, I remember that iMessage may have, have taken the bite out of some of this, but there were all of these third-party texting services uh, that used to be very popular with with kids in in particular, um, and I I know that we adults we you know there's Slack and and things like that. Are are those still as popular now, or, or has a lot of that that stuff moved over to iMessage? I I think that some of them are. I mean, I I still hear about Snapchat all the time. I've never right. used Snapchat, but I gather that people, especially the young folks, do use that. And well, I that's don't know. a different thing, though. That's, that's I mean oh, that's for messaging. Yeah, Snapchat is you take a picture and it shows up on their screen for just a few seconds. 
and okay. then it goes I, away. I thought it had a certain element of of chatting in it too, but I yeah. I don't. WhatsApp is was the other one that which Facebook bought, right? Yeah. And I don't know if they integrated that into their their own Facebook Messenger stuff or not. But there's you're right. There there are, there were tons of these things. I think iMessage has definitely taken a hit out of them. I used to use um, Google Voice, which is still around, um, unless you said like you could send text messages basically over the data connection instead of over the cellular connection. Um, it, although the big problem with that was always, uh, you couldn't send pictures easily. There's no MMS support. What about, um, family location sharing? I mean, that's another thing with families. I know that in our family, we are big fans of find my friends. I mean, that yeah. we use it all the time. And it's funny cause I talk to friends about it and they think it's really creepy. But... I have, yeah, I, I have, I hear both of those things because, um, so I do have it, uh, I've had it set up for a while, even before family sharing came out, you know, you could obviously set it up with anybody. Family sharing makes it, as we sort of alluded to earlier when talking about it, it sort of makes it automatic, which is really nice. Um, but the, uh, at the same time, the, um, the, I, I really like it for I, I, my mom and I, cause my mom has an iPhone. So we are on, on, uh, find my friends. Uh, and then several of my cousins and I are on find my friends and, I don't really run into any problems with it because I, you know, honestly, if there were an issue where I was worried about somebody having my location, I would just not. It's an opt in service, right? I wouldn't give them access to it. I don't really care if my family knows my my location, but uh, I definitely know people who are much less comfortable with that and do think that it's very, very creepy. <laughs> so let, let me just talk about a little bit for people who haven't tried it. So in my family, we are all find friends where it's this find friends app and it allows us to all make our our location always available to other members of our family now as dan mentioned you can go in there if you want and turn it off like if you're i don't know what you're doing but you want to turn it off you can temporarily turn it off and turn it back on later but if but you're planning really... a surprise party for david <laughs> okay all right. right so for but the fact is, it's just really useful. Like if we were at a restaurant the other day and and it's not only my, my immediate family, my my kids and my wife, but even some of my siblings are on it, too. And, you know, we were at a restaurant kind of centrally located. And as we got there, we could see who was there and who was just leaving. And, you know, it, it, it just makes it a lot more convenient. Uh, as my kids get older, they do a lot of things that don't involve me. I mean, my one daughter's in college. The other one's very active in play production. So, like I had in her find friends, I had a, a notification because you put notifications like when they leave a location. So mm. when my youngest daughter was leaving rehearsal the other night, they had a late rehearsal. I wanted it to notify me when she left and find friends was monitoring her location. As soon as she got in the car, you know, and they left the immediate vicinity of where she was, I got a notification saying, okay, Sarah just left. So I know she should be home in about 30 minutes. And as a dad, I really like having that kind of information. And, you know, I don't sit around all day and looking to see what are they doing now. But I mean, if I need to know where they're at, I can find out where they're at. I, I just find it really useful. And in our house, it's kind of a condition. You know, if dad's going to pay for your phone, you're going to let me know where you're at. But it's not even really a pain point. They don't mind because they know I'm not creepy. And, and frankly, you know, it really helps. So I think if you've got a family, this is something, a technology you should definitely be using. And it's baked right into iOS. Uh, another side benefit of that is you can also see their location in the Messages app on the Mac. This is something I wasn't even aware mm -hmm. of. I, I wrote a post complaining about it, and somebody sent me a link showing me how you do it. So if you've got a Messages window open on the Mac and someone is sharing their location with you via Find Friends and you click on the Details button, it shows you where they're at. That's pretty cool. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think on, on iOS as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that is really nifty. And it's also, I mean, it's not quite as useful. We mentioned the find my iOS find device, find my Mac thing earlier. Um, it's not, doesn't have all the same features, but it, in a quick pinch, it works the same way, right? If somebody yeah. left their phone somewhere, you can help them track it down. Yeah. All right. Can well, we've you, got you a- do anything with that stuff that fam, uh, find my friends? Do you, I know mm. like at Macworld area, you and I share locations with each other. Yeah, not not on a huge basis. I think it works better in nuclear families, you know, than it, yeah. than it does with extended families. But And one last pitch for this is, like, if you're going to go meet a friend for a while, like, Gene McDonald came and hung out at my house for a few days, so I shared location for the weekend, you know, and that way, whenever we went out somewhere together, if we got separated, we could find each other. It's It's just a really nice, I think it's a really nice thing. Well, we've got a lot more to cover and we've already been going for quite a while now. So I'm going to move us along. But before we do, I want to take a quick break and again, thank our exclusive sponsor for this episode, uh, our pals over at Smile. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, PDF Pen for iOS. And it's a brand new version of PDF Pen. It's PDF Pen version two, and it is a universal version now. So now with PDF Pen two for iOS, it's got a complete new user interface for iOS 8. It's got uh, access to iCloud Drive, so you can import and export all of your documents. And with PDF Pen for iOS, you can do all of the major features that you like from PDF Pen for Mac right on your iPad or iPhone. So you can read and edit PDF documents on your iPad. You can add highlights and freehand scribbles. You can add text and images and signatures to PDF and all of those custom saved signatures and initials or whatever stickers or anything else that you've added on your on your Mac are going to sync back and forth to your iOS devices with PDF Pen. Uh, if you've got a PDF that you need to sign, but hey, maybe you just saw that there was a typo in there and you need to fix it real quick, you can correct text in PDF for uh, Pen for iOS. Uh, you can fill out PDF Pen uh, PDF forms, including special signature fields. Uh, and then when you're done, you can take all of that and you can email it off to your friends. You can airdrop it. You can share it with Dropbox or Google Drive or Evernote. Uh, it works with just about any of the major cloud services. They even sync up with Transporter. So you can keep all of your documents secure uh, in your own private cloud. I mean, the amount of power that you have held in your hand with PDF Pen for iOS uh, is just absolutely astonishing. Uh, they added a couple of really big features uh, in PDF Pen 2 beyond just the brand new uh, facelift that they give it for iOS 8. Um, they've done a lot of enhancements to iCloud Drive. They've got a brand new editing bar that allows you easy access to all of your favorite features, depending on which tool that you are using. Uh, you've got easy access to import and export all of your cloud-based documents. If you're using a stylus, they've got palm and wrist support protection built right in. This is now a universal app, so it works both with the iPhone and the iPad. It just goes on and on and on. Uh, You can even flatten all of your annotations before you export. I, I love using PDF Pen uh, on my iOS device because I have the power of PDF Pen in my pocket no matter where I go. Somebody sends me something, I can sign it, I can just swoosh it back to them, and boom, we're done. So if you've previously bought either PDF Pen for iPad or PDF Pen for iPhone, um, they have got special upgrade pricing through the Complete My uh, App Bundle. Uh, it's it's just amazing that they've figured out how to do this. So you can go find more information over at smilesoftware.com. I, I believe the Sparky guy did some uh, videos for them. Might you know anything about that, David? 
I have no knowledge of what you're talking about. No, uh, but you can learn more about it before you buy watching these awesome videos. Uh, and then when you're ready, head over to the app store and go download a copy of uh, PDF pen uh, for iPad and iPhone. And thanks to smile for their continued support of the show. In in those videos, my, my hypothetical business was artisanal rubber bands. Mm. Not the duck one. Yeah. Uh, mm. Moved no. on. Uh, moved on from the ducks. Okay. Hey, well, there Dan, you go. Dan, you know, something a lot of people with a, with this technology and kids need to wrap their heads around our parental controls. Yes. Fortunately, iOS and OS 10 both have really excellent parental controls. I think, uh, I, granted, uh, I will say, uh, I have not had experience using them directly on kids, but they do provide a high degree of granularity on a lot of things you can do. I've spent a little more time with the iOS, uh, restriction settings than I have with uh, OS 10's parental controls. But my understanding of OS 10's parental controls is that they are, very, very detailed indeed, and allow a lot of uh, sort of fine tuning of what you can let people do. David, you have some experience with the OS 10 side of it? Uh, not too much, because as the parental controls were really kind of getting hold on iOS, my kids were getting old enough that I didn't feel I really needed them. Mm-hmm. So uh, w- my kids kind of missed the window, <laughs> if yeah. that makes any sense. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of a hippie about it. I mean, I'm I'm pretty, you know, if my kids break trust on something i'll just take the device away and uh but you know my girls fortunately have not really had much of a problem i, I do run open dns with you know pornography um filters and things on my house so it's really not too many too much trouble they could get into but and i'm sure i'm gonna get email about this but <laughs> but I, I really haven't run them much so that's what i was thinking you know if you've got a younger kid though this is something you really should probably spend some time on because you know the other thing is i guess my kids, when the iPad was new, my kids didn't get them. I mean, right. it's only more recently that really young kids are getting these iOS devices. And yeah, my my kids' cousin or my cousin's kids who are seven and ten now. I think we gave I gave my old uh, original iPad a couple of years ago, uh, and I made sure to lock down a lot of stuff because at that point they were you know under under ten, right? So there's you know they they liked the idea of you know using the iPad for some games and and taking photos and silly things like that but there are definitely things that they did not their parents were did not want them to do without supervision so you know the restriction section of ios has a pretty good control over it and and, and ios the nice thing about that is that it's it's pretty tricky to circumvent those right i mean i always felt like though uh, on the mac side you know you could do something clever and boot into a different mode or something and get around it i'm sure they have protections against all that but on ios you can go into the restriction setting and for example turn off safari and safari just doesn't show up there so you know good luck trying to do anything like that um you can disable you know app installation uh prevent them from buying things and and there's a lot of really good stuff in the more recent updates that have to do with privacy aspects too um because you can specifically change things like for example you know dave was talking about using location services find my friends to to keep a, a tabs on his daughter when she's like you know on her way home or something like that but if you are making that deal with your kids you can also create prevent them from sort of turning off that feature um or you can prevent certain types of features from you know letting them use facebook or um even some stuff that might be more uh beneficial like turning off ad tracking right like you don't necessarily want them to turn on ad tracking or something like that so there's there's a lot of really good uh, fine grain controls in terms of not only what you can turn on and off, but what you can make it so that they can or can't change, right? You know, if they set up, uh, you set up a access to email for them, for example, um, 
then you can make it so that they can't add additional accounts or edit the existing accounts. Um, and one thing that one thing actually that I've had trouble with, which when I was setting up this this iPad for my cousin's kids um, was we actually wanted to set up a whitelist email for them where they could email other people in the family, but that it was a they would not receive any email for, unless it was from a prescribed address. And that was, you know, to prevent them getting any sorts of untoward spam or junk mail or what have you. Uh, and it's actually fairly difficult to do that. I mean, we were just trying on a Gmail account um, and we essentially set up, you know, a rule to say it's got to be on this list of addresses. But um, you had to sort of hardwire that list, which was pretty annoying. Um, there wasn't just a way I would love, you know, on Gmail, at least if it were just a way to say, just allow email from my contacts. Um, and I was kind of surprised that there was no easy way to do that on uh, on Gmail. But yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of great functionality in the iOS parental restrictions that let you do a lot of this stuff. Yeah, and yeah the way I think you, there's you a you way you can you can do that actually on uh, parental controls for Mac, but but mm -hmm. sounds like not for iOS. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's set up that way, unfortunately. And, and to enable it, you go into the settings app on your iOS device and then general and then restrictions. And if you go in there, you'll see it's, it's actually quite easy to do this. Yeah, you have to set a passcode to um, to sort of let you have override ability. But other than that, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. The, um, I, I don't, I'd like to hear from listeners. This is one I think we could definitely benefit from some of our listeners. If you're using parental controls in a, a unique way or have a unique experience about it, send us an audio comment or an email and we'll put it in the live show. Because I do think there are people out there that want to, uh, that have some good ideas on this. It's just my kids never, I just didn't really feel like I needed it. By the time they were old enough to have these devices, I, I trust them enough, I guess. Um, but and the... Um, Dan, you were you were talking about uh, prepping an iOS device and, and passing it down to give. I, I think in this case it was to your to your cousin's kid. Um, mm -hmm. I put a link in, in the show notes to um, Darren Boss wrote a, a pretty nice guide for for iOS on. Um, in his case, it was converting an old iPhone to an iPod Touch. You know, taking out the SIM card and, and erasing it and making it it kid friendly. And, and he had some tips for that. But you know, what what are your thoughts on on repurposing an old Mac or an old iPhone or an old iPod? Uh, or an iPad to to give down to a kid or or any any steps for for doing something like that. Actually, can I just interrupt real quick before we go to that subject? Because there's one thing in the outline we we skipped over. I don't want to, and that is um, some of these third party solutions for parental controls. Oh, okay. Uh, we've talked about Open DNS a lot on the show, so if you look in the archives, you'll find it. But Open DNS is a great way to kind of um, filter the internet coming into your house as available through Wi-Fi and yeah, we've talked uh, about that quite a bit. Just, just do it. Um, but there's another service called Kirby and Kirby is device specific. So you can set parental controls on devices and it, it doesn't matter how they're accessing the internet. So if they go to their friend's house or if they go on cellular and jump off your Wi-Fi, it all still works. And that is like, I think it's $7 a month for the whole house. It covers all the devices in the house. And, um, those, if you're thinking about this at all, I would strongly recommend looking at both of those options. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, go ahead. Yeah. So, Katie, as you were asking about the uh, prepping a device, I, I think most of it's pretty straightforward, fortunately, um, because you really, you know, you start by sort of wiping it and getting everything off it. And I, you know, iOS devices are obviously very easy to set up. So, going through and sort of, I, you know, I ran through the initial setup. 
I turned off, used the parental restrictions to sort of turn off a few things that I didn't want them to to play around with. The one limitation, and then this is sort of a caveat, was this was an older device. And so as an original iPad, I think it maxes out at like iOS 5.1. So it's fine for some of the stuff they do. But, you know, I, I knew pretty quickly that they were going to outgrow it. And I think they're still using it right now, but probably less so since it can't run any of the fun new games or anything like that. Um, but in terms of setting up, you know, it at least allowed me to set up an email, uh, account for them that they could send me email, which is very fun. And they could take pictures and send them to me. Um, and, but they, you know, using parental restrictions to obviously prevent them from accidentally deleting that account or adding new accounts or things like that. Um, I think that, you know, this, this guide that you've linked to has some really, really solid tips in there. Um, and so having, you know, for example, putting contact info on the lock screen is a great idea. Um, I, I definitely set up the automatic backup thing for them just in a, in a basic free iCloud account so that if they, you know, happen to drop it or accidentally wipe it or something like that, at least their pictures and any other documents that they created on there would be safe. Um, and they wouldn't have to spend too much time thinking about it or setting up on their own. And that's sort of the great thing about giving an iOS device to kids specifically is that there, there really isn't too much for them to have to tweak or play around with. Once you've set it up, it pretty much runs itself so i think that's pretty simple I, on the mac side we haven't I, I know we have some accounts set up for them their their family has an imac and so they have some sort of the controlled account set up for them but i think they also tend to use those more in conjunction with their parents supervision so uh, and you know a lot of these things could also apply to setting up devices um for novice users as well i mean yeah, maybe absolutely. maybe not so much setting up the restrictions but you know for for, for people who've never set up devices for yeah, no, absolutely. There's a, a lot of very straightforward stuff you can do, and it removes some of the moving pieces so that you don't have to worry about just accidentally uh, screwing stuff. I think about, you know, my my mom, uh, although she's pretty good these days with uh, the technology, you know, setting up an iMac for her. I, I did most of the, that ahead of time to sort of smooth it out for her and to set up things. So like, all right, I'm going to set up Time Machine and hook that up to a, you know, a little portable hard drive and just make sure that's backing up everything and and make sure that there's there's not a lot of there's at least fail safes there, right? So that when I go in and and do tech support for her, I, I sort of know what's set up there, and I set up uh you know and an I'm uh, a uh, uh, iChat account. I don't know, it's not even called an iChat account anymore. Messages, I set up, you know, yeah. messages account. Thank you uh, for her, so that I could do screen sharing really easily, which was a, a key thing there because when she calls me and asks me how do I do something, I you know we often spend a long time arguing about. What exactly are you looking at? <laughs> um, so having the ability to do screen sharing via uh, messages, which is certainly, I think, the easiest way to do it, um, is is really great. I actually wish there was a family sharing aspect for that. I think that would be great to just have a more a much easier screen sharing setup because there there are a lot of different ways you can do it on OS ten, but uh, a lot of them require having some sort of you know uh, uh, setup where it's like. I, you know, I, I, you need to have a dynamic DNS or something like this. And it's like, that's too complicated. I don't want to set that all up. Um, although I will say one of my favorite tips from this book, and I actually wrote an article also over on uh, the peach pit website talking about this for troubleshooting is if you're using a Mac with Yosemite on it, uh, one of the problems I've always had is people, you know, cousins or family members who are like, Oh, I have this problem on my iPhone and they're, you know, they live 3000 miles away. So it's not like I can take a look at their iPhone. And so What's great is under Yosemite, if you plug in uh, your iOS device into your Mac, um, you can use QuickTime 
player has the ability to now screen record from it, but it also just displays a live view. As soon as you have it plugged in, you can create a new video recording and then essentially choose your iOS device as the camera. Um, and then if you initiate a screen sharing uh, session between your Macs, uh, you can see their iOS device and they can actually show you what is going wrong. So that is one of my favorite tips in terms of troubleshooting iOS devices from far away. Yeah, that's great. I, I wish they would almost make it easier. To I, I agree. I agree. That was, this strikes me as kind of a workaround. It would be nice in some ways if there was screen sharing like iOS device to Mac or Mac to iOS device. But I, I also understand that seems like it would add some additional problems in there. Well, my interpretation of all of this, the family sharing, you know, warts and all is that Apple is aware that, you know, having if you buy if you invest in their platforms and you buy a bunch of stuff, it should be really easy to, you know, to manage it within your family. And it seems like they're trying to make efforts to to make it so. Yeah, I'm not sure they got there entirely, yet, but baby steps. Yeah, you know, and and honestly, I mean, it, I know it's really popular to to bag on Apple about this whole, you know, this last release cycle about how there's all these problems with Yosemite and iOS eight. But I mean, the thing I keep coming back to is they brought so much to the table. I mean, the ability to make these platforms talk to each other better and the extensions and everything, all the stuff that we've all been whining about for years, they've delivered. And I, you know, I don't think that was very easy. So. Yeah. I almost feel like, you know, iOS 9 comes out, whatever comes after Yosemite, I bet that they aren't going to bite off so much, but I bet a lot of the stuff that they that they brought to us last year is going to get a lot better, well, including family sharing. And, and I think that while all of this is a testament to how much we all use our devices, right, you know, and how engaged we are with our Apple devices, I don't think you hear a lot about these kinds of things on the Android side or the Windows side, uh, because I just don't think people are necessarily as invested there. So I, I think the fact that Apple, you know, iterates on this and tries really hard to to push the envelope on these features is a sign that we all really get involved and we're doing things with our devices rather than just, you know, oh, it's our computer that sits over there in the corner. Also, I have to think that, um, you know, the only way they could have got this level of interoperability between iOS and OS 10 was to have a really awkward period where they do it all at once and things are going to be broken and they're going to know until they get it out in front of millions of people. Yep. Um, all right. Well, Dan, I think we've covered how to share your technology and your family. Thanks so much for coming on the show. My uh, pleasure. Because, you know, we're in this, you know, this uh, build up to the Apple watch, you know, and I'm not allowed to talk about it during the show. <laughs> <laughs> all right which one are you gonna get uh i'm currently eyeballing the uh apple watch sport the black aluminum one with the black band uh but i haven't figured out the the eternal dilemma for me is 38 millimeters versus 42 millimeters so uh if you want more on that uh we uh the podcast i do with john moltz and lex friedman the rebound we spend yeah. entire episodes talking about what <laughs> watch we're gonna buy so if you're really if anybody really is interested there's a lot of meat there I think unless you have a really small wrist, you get the big one because you want that extra battery. That's, That's kind of what I'm thinking. And the bigger display I've heard is nice for just like looking at text, you know, reading text and stuff like that. So I'm leaning that way. Now, Katie, now Katie what's the Katie Floyd status? Is she still, still, still 38? 38. Still, 38. still 38. Well, I mean, you know, you get a smaller wrist, you can get away with it. 
All right. Well, we're going to talk about this more. That 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 topic's never going to go away, at least not until the end of April. Yeah, but but we'll we'll talk about it on MPU Live, not on okay, not on actual topic shows. So I'm sorry. See, yeah. like I said, it's a, isn't it good we have an adult on the show? Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, you can you can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode, including links to Dan's book and some of his writings, uh, as well as I just added a link to uh, the Rebound his podcast uh, and some of his other podcasts uh, at our website at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Uh, Dan, wh- where would you like to send people to, to look for you? Uh, well, Twitter is always a great place to find me. I'm at dmorin. Um, and if there's more, I'm, I'm generally six colors these days is sort of one of my big Apple outlets. All right. And then the, the show is also on Twitter. You can find the show at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Katie Floyd and David is at Max Sparky. And we will see you all next week. 